And this episode of Juice Guru Radio is brought to you by TriBest, making healthy living easy and the Juice Guru certification program at JuiceGuru, JuiceCoachTraining.com. To Juice Guru Radio. Discover what the magic and power of juicing can do for you. And now, your host, best selling author of The Complete Idiot's Guide to Juice Fasting, Steve Prusak. Well, hello, I'm Steve, and today's guest is best selling author and mindful parenting educator, Michelle Gale. She teaches parents how to connect with our children by first connecting with ourselves. We're going to find out all about it. She's the author of the new book, Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. We'll be back right after this with Michelle Gale. Did you know you can make a great living in the hottest new business trend today? The Juice Guru Certification Program is the world's first online course to give you the knowledge and marketing skills to excel as a juicing coach and start making money in no time. Find out more at JuiceCoachTraining.com. And welcome back. We've got Michelle Gale. It's going to be an incredible session. We're going to find out how we can be more mindful as parents in this messy world. That's her new book. You can learn more about her and the work she's doing at BeAMindfulParent.com. We're going to have links to that under the show notes at Juice Guru Radio, so you'll be checking out there. And let's welcome to the show right now, Michelle Gale. Hey, it's nice to be here. Thanks for sharing me with your community. I appreciate it. Well, it's really exciting to have you. I know you worked um, at Twitter and other high-growth tech startups, and now you're doing completely different work. So how did you go from the work you were doing there to this transition in life? Yeah, you know, the transition actually started long before Twitter. (laughs) It actually started in college when I was introduced to meditation and mindfulness, and I was having a really hard time. I was stressed and lonely and have a lot of anxiety and naturally anxious. And uh, I went to a Unity Church and sat for the first time and kind of had this experience of of quieting down. And then fast forward many years later, 10 years later or so, and um, I'd been in the tech world for a long time as a recruiter, and I decided I wanted to be an executive coach. And the program I joined, sitting in meditation, was a part of the program. So I started sitting regularly. That was where I really landed on a regular practice and path. And at that point, I had two very young children. One was six months and the other was four. So they have been a part of my practice since the very beginning. I didn't really have much of a choice. (laughs) They were around as I was really learning to practice and practice regularly. So I had to be very creative, as you can imagine, having two such small children and that was kind of how the mindful parenting was born. And then when I worked at Twitter years later, I had never worked out of the house full time. I'd always been a consultant and had a lot of flexibility with my schedule and got to experience for two and a half years what it was like to be a parent and, you know, on high speed. I was working 60, 70 hour weeks and away from home and needed to be really creative with how I connected with my kids and how we interacted when I was there. And um, that's really how the book was written because I would try all these different ways of staying connected to myself and to them. And I'd tell these stories and people say, do you write this stuff down? Do you write this down? And so eventually I wrote it down. That's how the book came to be. And that's how I ended up moving more into this work. Really being at Twitter inspired me to want to go back into corporations um, when I left there and to bring mindful parenting into companies. That's a big part of what I do. Okay, great. Well, yeah, and as parents, and you know, it's, it's a journey raising the little ones. And when, so when you talk about a messy world, what are you getting out there? 
you know, messy world is just the stuff of our lives. It's just the day-to-day. -day. It's just what we all deal with as parents, right? It's waking up and somebody peed their bed and you have to start stripping the beds or hopefully it's when you woke up. In my case, it was often, you know, two or three in the morning uh, for a very long time. And it's, it's the breakfast and the toast burning and the dogs barking and being late to the meeting that you're going to. And how do we stay present and sane and, um, and actually find joy in that mess and find learning and our own growth in that mess? That's what really excites me. So how do we define mindfulness? So mindfulness, if you ask, you know, 20 different mindfulness teachers, you'll get 20 different answers. Um, you know, I love John Kabat-Zinn's definition is paying attention on purpose in the present moment, non-judgmentally, right? And that the non-judgmentally piece is the key. And, and I also like to add in with curiosity and kindness. So mindfulness is about being present with whatever's happening right now with curiosity and kindness, being interested, even if it's something that's relatively unpleasant. Well, I can think of a lot of things as a stepdad <laughs> that could be unpleasant. And, you know, yeah. some of these things, some of these challenges could be behavior issues and things and just, you know, things we don't expect. How do we become more mindful in those moments when, you know, the kid is having a tantrum or acting out or just being completely disrespectful? Yeah, you know, I, I always tell parents and executives that I work with as well, be them parents or not, you know, a big part of being a leader, whether that's at work or at home, is tolerating discomfort. You know, the higher you get up into an organization, you know, when I work with CEOs, I always tell them, like, you are now need to tolerate the most amount of discomfort because right? everything comes back to you and people are going to be talking behind your back and unhappy with things and and really, your job is to be able to hold that. And as parents, that's our job as well. You know, my, my young guy um, had a lot of temper tantrums when he was really young. We didn't know he had a lot of learning differences and things going on that were not diagnosed. And we didn't know what they were about. But my, because of my practice, my intention was to be able to hold that for him every time. So he'd be laid out on the floor, you know, 45 minutes, an hour at a time, screaming. And I'd be sitting there letting him know I'm here. Tell me what you need. Can I give you a hug? You can scream as loud as you want. I still love you, right? Just letting him know I'm here. I can hold this with you. And in a lot of ways, I can hold this for you because his nervous system was so dysregulated. So my job was just to sit and regulate and regulate and regulate and help him because our nervous systems are not separate. Um, I don't know if you follow the work of Dr. Dan Siegel. Um, he has this body of work called Interconnected Neurobiology. And what he teaches us is that our, our nervous systems are connected. They're affecting each other. So when our kids are having a real, time, a real hard time, the very best thing we can do is to keep ourselves calm. And now, we're not going to do it every time, and certainly I don't. And I, after all these years and all this work, I'll still snap, you know, and I'll still lose it. But, but my kids know um, they can kind of be like, really, Mom? You know, and they know I'm going to come back and I'm going to repair the situation. I can remember years ago being in the car with my oldest son, who's 14 now, but maybe he was 10 at the time. And we had a blow up and I probably said some things I didn't mean. And uh, not that anybody listening would ever do such a thing. And, um, and I was in the car and I said, you know, Tyler, I want you to know I'm sorry about what happened earlier. And he goes, I know. <laughs> I'm like, 
what do you mean you know? He's like, Mom, you always apologize. And I really appreciated that he knew that. But it's true. I will always apologize. Right? I will always own my part in it. And, and that's, what I, that's what I teach them. You know, we're all going to own our part. Yeah, that, that's the new age. Because I know growing up, my parents yeah. were never wrong. And they never apologized. It was always me, of course. No. It is good that we can realize that we can actually learn from our kids and that we're not always right. Yeah, we can learn from them. And we're not always right. And we make mistakes. And we want to teach our kids to be able to fail. Right? We want to teach them to be able to fail. And some of the best ways to give them permission to do that or give them permission to make a mistake is to make the implicit explicit for us because often we're thinking it but we don't you know we don't want to say it because we don't want to be wrong and we don't want to admit our errors or or our mistakes but as we model that for them and that goes with mindfulness as well because people often ask me and you may have the question in your mind how do I teach my kid to be mindful I get that all the time and my response is always the same don't (laughs) you know you practice and so there are some kids that are really interested in practice and they'll eat up particularly if they're little and you can get, there's a lot of sweet books and, you know, I did a lot of recordings with my kids and listening and they were very open, but if they weren't, I wouldn't have made them do it. And now that they're older, you know, they're definitely not interested in general in sitting or in practicing, but they get it through me. You know, they see me sitting in the mornings or in the evenings or in the middle of the day. They see how I, take a breath and I'm like, oof, I'm really triggered right now. You know, my jaw's tight. I can feel my heart beating. My belly feels a little funny. Like I'm going to take a minute, right? That is mindfulness. And we're teaching it to them by, by doing it ourselves. Well, we're here with Michelle Gale. She's the author of Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. We're going to hear some strategies on how we can in the moment become mindful because it's all fun to sit here and say what we could have done, but how do we deal with those challenging moments in real time? And we've all been there. So we're going to find out all about that. Uh, tune in, get yourself some water, some tea, some juice. Mm-hmm. And uh, let's get back to our interview here with uh, Michelle Gale, because this is really exciting. Uh, you know, you were talking before about our connection to our kids. And my wife and I often say that we're energetically sensitive. We're like, maybe because we drink a lot of juice, but we feel we can absorb the energy of other people. Mm-hmm. Uh, so in those moments when we are, you know, getting those energies and there is a lot of disruption, what are some of the mindful practices that we can, um, you know, you, I mean, you talked about taking deep breaths or whatever. What else can we do in real time during those moments? Yeah. Well, I think it's beautiful that you and your wife have that experience. It shows that, you know, that, that there's a lot of empathy and that you're probably both empaths and and the world can be a lot more difficult for those you know for those of us that have that sensitivity and so you kind of there's a few different answers things I want to share within that question but the first thing I'll say is so we don't want to start practice when we're triggered right that's not the time to practice for the first time we practice when there's no problem, right? When there's no triggers and maybe we imagine a trigger, right? I often, when I'm teaching classes, I'll have people close their eyes and, and I'll walk them through, think to a moment in the last few weeks where you had a hard time, right? So this is something everyone can do now if you're in a safe place to do that or not. And think, think of a time that was difficult and, you know, with your eyes closed and really get the experience of it. Where is it in the body? You know, you feel tightness in the chest or in the belly or the neck kind of tight or the shoulders tight and really get the feeling of it. 
and let it sink in. And then I'll walk them through a little mindfulness practice. So, you know, lift up your back posture, take a breath, you know, feel gravity, just take a minute and settle down and then think of that same thing again. And ultimately, every time we go through that practice, we relate to it differently. So when we, but we want to practice that when we're not in the middle of it. So we want to take on, you know, I'll often have clients, um, I had a client recently who has two daughters. She's an executive and she has two daughters. And so, um, and they love sparkly things. So I asked her, do you have any sparkly stickers at home? And she said, oh, we've got sparkly stickers. So I said, put these sparkly stickers all over. And so she's doing, I encourage her to do this practice with her children. And have these stickers on your computer, in your wallet, in the cabinet, on the refrigerator. And you all agree when you notice the sticker, you're going to take one breath. You're going to pause. You're just going to stop, you know, just check in and then move along. And so you're getting this practice of pausing, of stopping when you're not under pressure. And then when the pressure comes, maybe, maybe not, <laughs> you know, it takes a little bit of time. You're like, oh, I have, I can do something, right? I know what to do now. And we pause. And we take a breath. The body is such a, you know, and I know you're, you're doing body work over there. I mean, this is the work that you're all, you all care about is how we take care of our bodies. And the body doesn't lie. So the body, that's why I say check in with the body. The body gives such good signals as to how to, where we're triggered. And it also is how we can calm down. I'll often tell people, just feel your feet. You know, feel your feet. When, when I'm about to go on stage somewhere and give a talk, I'll often just ground in the feet, just noticing my feet on the ground. And that brings all the stress and anxiety right down. So there's a couple of ideas for how to kind of weave it into to, to what we're already doing. And, you know, you talk about calm. I mean, is that related to mindfulness? Can we always be calm while being mindful? No, no. And, and I, in fact, we shouldn't even, I think mindfulness has a little bit of a, a, a bad, um, a little, not a bad rap, but I don't know what word I'm looking for, but people relate to mindfulness as only being calm. And, you know, I talk about in my book, we can be just as, as mindful of our anxiety or our anger or fear as we can of our joy and our happiness and our, you know, calm, the experience of calm that we're having in our body. So, no, like we can be mindful of, mindfulness encompasses it all, right? There's, John Kabat-Zinn has a book called Full Catastrophe Living, right? It's the full catastrophe of our entire lives we can wake up to. We can wake up to, we're walking down the street and smelling the flowers and, you know, maybe doing a little mindful walking, really noticing our steps, noticing how the muscles moving from leg to leg. And all of a sudden there's a car crash, right? And there's a car crash not near us and, and now I'm mindful of, like, right, all my energy is up here. I'm worried, right? I'm, I, need to, I need to act. I need to do something. And we can, be, we can be very awake. We can watch this happen. And as we watch it happen, we have access, much more access to our prefrontal cortex. So when we're in the midst of that emergency. We can actually stop for a minute. And what's the best thing to do right now? We can get to that much quicker than if we're just, you know, completely the brain has the amygdala there. It's just hijacked and we're not able to get to that critical thinking center. where We can make creative decisions so we can be mindful of that peaceful walk. And then we can be very mindful of our stress and anxiety when we heard that accident. 
Now, I'm seeing here on my panel, we've got moms and dads tuned in here. Is this something that can benefit, you know, to be more mindful? Is this something you're gearing towards moms or can, can the dads benefit too? No, the dads definitely benefit. There is no benefit just for the moms. In fact, my husband, too bad he's not here. He could tell you all about it. Um, you know, we, we really partner up together and he does his own practices in the way that work for him. He's actually part of, I don't know if you've ever heard of the Mankind Project and he sits in circle every week with a group of men and, um, they do their man circle. I'm not exactly sure all the things that go on there cause it's secret, but, um, that is, and they do some little practices in there, but they're doing a lot of inner work and you know, he goes into prisons talk about learning to hold discomfort, right? He's going in as a participant in this program and working with uh, prisoners at, at Folsom Prison. You know, these are, this is a high security prison. And, you know, he's come back from there telling me, you know, I feel more free inside those walls than I do anywhere else in my life because he's getting to just take off the mask and really show himself. So that is his practice. Right? In, in so many ways. So it doesn't look one way. It doesn't have to be only closing your eyes at the same time every day. Right? For parents, it's often you know, in the car for five minutes listening to you know, Simple Habit or, or Headspace or one of these other apps. Or it might be feeling the water on my hands as I'm washing the dishes or feeling the water falling on me for two minutes in the shower. If you don't live in a drought where we live, we have to kind of get in and out. But it, it's just in, it could just be in weaving these practices in. Men, women, mom, dad, it doesn't matter. It's for everyone. What about meditation? Do you think that's something we should all embrace? Is that something that helps with this process? Well, I think can the word should. Um, we shouldn't do anything. We should, you know, I, the idea is to be drawn to it. And I worked with a lot of parents who just didn't want to meditate or weren't drawn to meditating in the beginning, but really took on a mindfulness practice, just noticing their experience inner and outer, you know, throughout the day. And, but I will always share with them and I'll share with you and your listeners that there is a value in that silence and in that stillness. And I'll tell you when I first started sitting, regularly when my kids were very young, it was very hard for me. I felt like I was going to wanted to run out of the room. I mean, I really had to start small, five minutes at a time, 10 minutes at a time, 15 minutes at a time. And I grew because I have a lot of anxiety and I did not know how to hold it. When I got still, it was very scary and disturbing to me, me, within me. It's not that way for everyone. And so um, there is a value because when you sit for long periods of time, you get to know your thought patterns. You get to know what goes on in your mind, right? Early on, I'm like, I'm either planning or I'm criticizing myself. And, and particularly that criticizing myself, that strong inner critic that I had, I didn't realize how much it was driving my life until I got to know the patterns and I got to know the patterns and then that pattern would show up. I'd criticize myself. I'd say, oh, you shouldn't have said that to that person or you didn't respond the right way. And I would just hear that voice and say, mm, yeah, okay, stay over there. And it wouldn't, it wouldn't ruin my day or make me grumpy or angry when I, before I didn't even know that that was happening. So there is a value in meditation, in, and I encourage everyone to try it and to go work with a teacher and to sit for long periods of time if you can. I have a, um, on simplehabit.com, I have a seven-day, five minutes a day uh, meditation for parents. So if anybody's interested in that, I'm not sure if it's free or not. I think it's free. Um, but 
that's a nice little entry point and then you kind of expand from there. So if you just take on a mindfulness practice and you just learn to notice and get curious and in inquire about ourselves, that's wonderful. And then I hope it inspires parents to, to seek out kind of longer, deeper practice and hopefully with, with different teachers. There's so many wonderful teachers out there. Well, how old are your kids now? 14 and 11. One's okay. going into high school, one's going to middle school, so I'm leaving primary school forever. Right, because so I'm going to say, like, you know, as they travel through, my stepson's 11, you know, we know the teen years are coming. We, we already see these prepubescent you know, changes. Yeah. You know, this is something we never master because it's always that journey with our kids as they go through all these different phases, right? Yeah, and I think that's where the curiosity, right, when, you, when we're well-practiced in these practices, that curiosity comes up, because that is really where I am with my 14-year-old. I mean, he's definitely gotten moody and grumpy and different and, um, you know, more annoyed. I just said something, he's homesick, and I said something to him, and he said, you know, don't quote from books, Mom. <laughs> I don't even know what he's talking about. I'm like, I'm not quoting from a book. I'm just, he's like, it's just so annoying. You know, I'm just so annoying right now. And, and I know I can step back from that and, and watch it. No, it's really not personal to me. You know, it's developmentally appropriate. He is meant to be differentiating from me. You know, we've always had a very close relationship. And so it's going to be clunky and rocky. And, and we also have to meet them where they are. Um, just recently we had a little spring break away. We just rented a house up the coast for a few days. And, um, my husband and other young son were out and, and we stayed home and somehow we ended up talking about the Enneagram, which is this wonderful system, this personality system. I'm not sure if your listeners are familiar with it, but it's pretty deep. And I've talked to him about it in the past, but I said, how about we read our different Enneagram types and talk about it? And he wanted to listen to Eminem. <laughs> so we went back and forth. We talked about the Enneagram and we listened to Eminem songs. And then we were just talking about Eminem's Enneagram type. Right. And so what, what, what is his personality type? What drives him? What are his fears? So it was just this beautiful example. I felt like when I was in the midst of it, I was really like, this is rich. Like, this is rich. This is a coming together of what matters to me is helping him get to know himself. Like I told my kids, there's two things that need to happen by the time you leave here when you're 18 or however old you are, hopefully 18, off to college. Um, you have to be alive. I hope you have to be living and you have to know who you are. You have to have a good understanding of who you are as a human being, right, as much as you can at that age right now. If those two things happen, I've done my job. Now, you talk about embracing the messiness in our lives. What do you mean by that? How do we go about uh, embracing the messy? Yeah, embracing the messy. So it kind of points to what I was talking to earlier about holding discomfort. And so it's not just about holding discomfort, which is, which is a big part of it, but it points to something you said earlier, which is learning, always learning from our experience. So what if instead of, you know, some disaster happens in the family, whatever it might be, and we just go into total victim mindset, right, in victim mode. And this goes to Carol Dweck's work on the growth mindset. It's a wonderful book called Growth Mindset. And in, But in, we don't go into a growth mindset. We go into victim. Why me? This is awful. You know, I'm a terrible parent. And we've all had these, you know, thoughts that come up. But if we can be aware of that, like, oh, no, let me, what do I have to learn here? Like, what is this trying to teach me? When we look back on our lives, I can't imagine anyone is, is tuning in that doesn't recall, if you ask them, where did you grow the most as a human being? It is always through the darkest times. 
it's all, it's never the nobody ever talks about the, the thank you know, for the listening to Juice Guru Radio. Find out more about us at JuiceGuru.com. Until next time, and we have to get your juice on. That's where we grow. So if we can think of the mess of our lives as the greatest opportunities to grow as a human being, as a parent, you know, as a, as a person, then, then we can embrace the messiness in our lives in a different way. That's a great way to look at it. And when we're dealing with our kids, uh, what about all that anger and frustration that inevitably they will trigger? And what do we do with those emotions? How do we work through them? And it's fun to say it now, but I know what's going to happen next weekend. Yeah, yeah. Um, so we learn to lean in and we lean into that, to those difficult emotions. And again, we point to like, how, how are they going to teach me something? So if we can get into that mindset, then we can work with ourselves in that moment. And, and yes, we're going to get triggered. But there's a step behind that. So before we can fix, like, when I get triggered, how do I fix it, right? That's what you're asking, essentially, right? Well, I mean, yeah, there's being aware in the moment. We can think that's going to happen. But when you're triggered and yeah. you're repeating some of those patterns that maybe yeah. came from your parents. I mean, there's exactly. a lot of complexity to all this, you know, of what triggers us, how we react, and, and how we calm ourselves in that moment when, you know, we've been triggered. Yeah, so we have to know our triggers first. That's why I said there's a step before actually calming ourselves down in the midst of the trigger. So I will often tell parents, write down all the things that trigger you. Like for me, being late. Like if I get the sense that we're going to be late, I know I can turn into a real bear. Right now with my older son, it's about going to bed. He doesn't want to go to bed anymore. And I'm a little bit of a cuckoo about sleep. And so this is on me. You know, he's not going to go to bed at the time I want to go to bed anymore. You know, I have to let it go. And I'm really struggling to let it go. And so I know this time comes at night and I notice, there I go. Like, it's coming. I'm getting irritated. And there's been plenty of nights. I'm not as kind as I want to be. And I go to sleep and I lay there and, I, and I'm like, God, you blew that one. What are you going to do next time? Right? Mm. What are you going to do next time? Next time, I'm going to hold, hold my tongue, you know, do what I can to support a, a decent bedtime and let it go. Right? And it might not be to the third or the fourth night and then I'll mess up again and then it'll take another four or five nights later. And so it's all in increments, but we have to know our triggers. So I would encourage everyone listening, write down all of the triggers that you have. And some of them are from our childhood and some of them are just things we've picked up in parenting and there are little, you know, are, are the little things that annoy us personally, but they are often, as you pointed to from our childhood and our children are our greatest path to our freedom because they are going to trigger us in ways nobody else will. So they are our greatest teachers. They're going to trigger us over and over again, and they're going to give us an opportunity over and over again to practice. We're either going to take that opportunity and try these different practices that we've learned, or we're going to be doing a lot of yelling, <laughs> screaming, and there's going to be a lot of unhappiness. Yeah. Well, I would think since you and your husband, you know, you wrote the book and you're obviously living this actively, is there any kind of judgment that comes when you see the other, when you see your husband reacting negatively or you're feeling he's not being mindful? Maybe it's the other way around. Do you guys ever get into those kinds of moments where you try to help the other or you might end up like you're judging the other and maybe even make matters worse? 
Definitely. I mean, hopefully not as often as it was in the past that we'd be judging each other and making making matters worse. You know, after all of this, I mean, I've done a lot of compassion work, self-compassion and compassion for others. There's a lot of beautiful practices. Kristen Neff's work is really wonderful around self-compassion. Um, and, you know, when I see my husband having a hard time with the kids, really and truly, usually the first thing that happens is compassion for him and for the situation. So, you know, it, I might get tr a little triggered, but it very quickly moves to compassion for me now. And on my best days, I won't say anything. I'll let them have their moment. And then I'll talk to my husband afterwards. On my worst days, I'll try to get involved or maybe I got triggered and, you know, I'll make matters worse. But in general, you know, between the two of us, I'll, we'll usually let it play out on each side, and then we try to talk about it after. And that's usually my offer to, to parents when they ask me that question is, whatever you, whatever you can do to not say something in front of the kids. I mean, it really is important um, in parenting to show that united front, but also be willing to say when a parent was wrong, right? Whether that was you or, or your partner. Now, I like this. In the book, you talk about the four signs that a parent is being mindful. Can you share those four signs that we know that we're on the right path and we are, you know, that we're, we're, we've become a mindful parent? How can we identify that? I don't remember the four signs. <laughs> I'm being very well, mindful of my anxiety. Like, what four signs? <laughs> you better tell Wasabi to get that out of your question and answer. Get that out of my questions. I'm like, I don't remember the four signs. <laughs> Well, they got that no, question number 22 there. I mean, I'm just going through these We're questions. We're going to get rid of that one. I'm so sorry. But I can, well, definitely, I can definitely give some. So signs that we are being <laughs> mindful. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make it up here. We'll see if they're the same. No. Signs that we're being mindful. Um, there's pause. So there's space in what we are in our triggers when we get upset and our response, right? So I often will show whoever can see, I have my two fingers together and normally in mindful, with we don't have mindfulness, there's a thing that happens and then there's our response to it and they're right next to each other. There's no space in between the two. And then when we practice mindfulness, the space opens up and then there's that thing that happens and now there's a little space in between my fingers and then there's our reaction. So there's some space. Other things that you'll see of a mindful parent um, you may not see it, but there's self-compassion like we were pointing to, you know, before. So we're going to be kind to ourselves. We're going to let know that we're going to make mistakes and we're going to know that we can recover. And in fact, in that recovery and that repair, the relationship strengthens even more. I mean, after we've had a hard time and we've come back together and we've said, I'm sorry, and we've had some learning, that relationship between parent and child is, is fused even tighter. So we're going to see self-compassion. We're going to see a willingness to, to repair, to say, I'm sorry. Mindful parenting, we will also see, you know, we'll, it, parents who are parenting mindfully in this way are, are on to themselves, right? So they, they catch it when, when they make a mistake or when they are out of their integrity and, and they'll say it, right? I'll often say to my kids, 
you know, this isn't, I'm really not acting in the way that I, it doesn't even feel good. So there's an embodiment. Maybe that's what I'm pointing to. You know, there's a, there's a connection to the body and to the signs of the body and the drinking lots of juice and being very healthy. It really does help with those signs. You know, our, our, our systems are, are clear. Our nervous system is clear and, and we can really tune in and know how we're feeling. So there's three, I think. Thank you. I mean, it's good enough. We got through it, and I appreciate that. You know, You're welcome. You know, most of these questions are off the top of my head, but, you know, some of them I'm just going over here because I, I thought it was a great question. Now, you call your husband and sons your best teachers. Mm-hmm. And what does that mean for families to, you know, that, that those in our families can be our own catalyst for growth? How is that Yeah, uh, Absolutely. Possible? Absolutely. Um, similar to what I was talking about earlier where um, – you know, there's a wonderful quote by Byron Katie that goes something along the lines of, you know, our, our friends, our parents, our siblings, you know, they will trigger us in every different way um, until we learn what we're not ready to learn yet. You know, they'll point us to our freedom every time. The quote goes something like that. So our, our family, you know, I tell people all the time, I would never talk to anyone the way I talk to my husband or my kids. Now, I'm my worst self at home. I mean, that's just the truth. And the reality is we're all out in the world, keeping it together, doing our best, you know, staying peaceful and kind and calm. And then we get home and it's not just our kids because parents often say, oh, they're so good at school. And then they come home and, you know, they're a disaster for me. And I always say, you know, are you, is there any of that in you as well? Because we do that too. We get home and we've been keeping it together all day long and we start behaving badly. And so all the stuff gets churned up. And so that's right where it's messy and where it's churned up is where we have this opportunity to practice and to grow. So in that way, our families just become this amazing petri dish for how we can grow as human beings. It's so, it's, for me, it's so beautiful and it's so hard. It's so, so hard. Love it. Leave me alone, Julie. I'm working. No, I'm, I, I don't know what you mean at all. <laughs> no, no. You would never talk to your partner that way. No. no. She's Michelle Gale. Her book, again, is Mindful Parenting in a Messy World. We've got people to just go rewind here with us. You can take ask, ask some questions. We'll take some questions. Go ahead and type them in the box. We're going to close out the iHeartRadio part of the show, though. So the website is... Uh, BeAMindfulParent.com We'll have links to that under the show notes at JuiceGuruRadio.com So I had to do that whole announcer thing uh, Let's well, let's thanks once again Michelle, yeah, Michelle, thank you for being here on the show My pleasure, it's really fun I'm Steve Prusak and we'll see you next time Thank you for listening to Juice Guru Radio Find out more about us at JuiceGuru.com Until next time Get your juice on